0: This is the Date Podcast. I am Nick Jimenez with Carlos Carluba Rodriguez. I
1: am Carlos Carluba Rodriguez there or Cartilage Luba Rodriguez. That's right. Is how yes. the translation software translates my name. I plug cartilage? these things. Cartilage? Cartilage
0: Luba. Cartilage. cartilage. <laughs> or no, Cartilage Car and Luba. Two <laughs> words. Car and Luba are two different things. So uh, yeah, we plug these into a uh, uh, transcript software okay. and it has a lot of trouble with with Carlos Gulli Rodriguez. Yeah. yeah, it was not designed for this county. Cartilage Luba. Yeah. <laughs> um so we are uh, we're here with Vanessa Garcia, um playwright and
2: and other things
0: that we'll get into. But that was how you and I kind of came across each other. Um yes. I wrote a piece for Cigar Snob magazine about Amparo, which is the the play of yours that I have seen three times. Um oh. Twice to write Three about it time. and then an extra time for somebody's birthday. They wanted to do that. okay so, yeah, I'll do it again. So, that I've, so that makes what? I've been through three-fifths of the possibilities here, mm-hmm. more or yeah. less?
2: Uh, sort of. Three-fifths kind of, sort of, of, of the entry points, yes. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Um, so, that may not make a lot of sense to people, but we'll get into that. Um, and then, Carlos, do you want to tell the people how you're involved I in
1: am involved uh, very g- graciously uh, with the Amparo, um success story as the dj uh, in the amparo Rome garden yeah after the show right people are let out to this lovely uh garden where there's a bar serving delicious Havana club cocktails and there is some groovy tunes uh being played by me and i'm also playing percussion
0: because you're a groovy there. guy
1: groovy guy just percussioning and playing music
0: and you're also very percussive I'm so a percussive. Okay. They went to the right person.
1: Yep. Yep. That's how I involved. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, for for anybody who uh is a little lost here, we'll explain a bit of what Amparo is. So, Amparo is and stop me if I if I fudge any okay. of this stuff. is an immersive theater production that tells the story of the uh Arechavala family, which uh among other brands because the the company was what Arechavala SA Arechavala SA. Which is which LLC. was right which was the cuban <laughs> distilling company that uh created the Havana Club brand and from which uh the cuban government expropriated that brand uh after right. the the castro revolution so um this play happens in what is the name of the venue again i always forget the name of the building
2: villa 221
0: villa 221 mm-hmm. at 221 uh northeast 17th street northeast yeah. 17th street in miami and this has, I think, been described, I forget, by who as, like, the hottest ticket in Miami for however long.
2: Yes, that was people en español.
0: People en español. <laughs> oh, wow. So somebody translated it because I, I didn't see el hottest ticket. <laughs> no, no, El they're in ticket más caliente. They're de in Miami. English. They're just <laughs> El boleto más caliente. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you, you go into this... Experience through one of five entry points, as you described it, sort of following a character, one of five designated characters for that. And then you are kind of thrown in to that story of the Arechavala family yep. and, and their experience, um, primarily of Amparo, the title character, and yep. her uh, sort of marrying into the family and all the rest until finally, uh, I won't spoil things, but as you can imagine, this is a Cuban exile story and you end up not in Cuba anymore. Right. Um,
2: you end up in the rum garden exactly. you you with, in Miami. Exactly, with grooves. Garden, right? yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah. many things are lost, but you gain grooves.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Very much so.
0: So, um, much so with that said, uh, let's talk a little bit about your background and then kind of build back to Amparo. Okay. So talk a bit about uh, your sort of entry point into your career as a playwright and how that happens
2: my career as a playwright so i always wrote and i always say i have the the heart of a painter and the brain of a writer because i was also a painter for a very long time like a visual artist um but then i was always writing at the same time and i was writing i have a novel out i did a lot of journalism i was doing all of that but everyone i knew was in the theater And in film. They were all actors, essentially. And um, my sister's an actor. My roommate was an actor. Everybody was an actor. And so they would ask me every once in a while, oh, can you write something for me? Can you do this? Can you do that? And then I started to write plays. And they were like, I like these better than your novels. (laughs) Of course, because they're all theater people. And so I started writing a lot of them. Um, and then sometimes they would be things that, you know, like happened or never happened. And but I but I then had all this experience writing plays and screenplays and things like that. Um, so I started to, you know, pitch and sell them. And then eventually the way that I get to Havana Club or the Amparo story, the Amparo experience, is that uh, Team Enterprises, which markets Havana Club specifically, uh, uh, called me out of the blue one day and they were like, hey, hey, we know that you've been writing about Cuba a lot because I was writing a lot. I've been writing a lot about um, Cuba in, in articles um, since 2005 specifically. And then I have a couple of plays about Cuba, too. Uh, and, and you write plays and we want to do this really short thing, um, like a 20-minute thing. It's going to be in a bar and people should interact with it. And then there was this conversation which was like, you know, there's this thing called immersive theater. <laughs> and yeah. then they were like, whoa, there's a name for this? Okay, let's start talking. And then we started to have this big conversation. One thing led to the other. Um, and at some point, everybody was so excited that Michael Sheehan, who's also involved in team, was like, well... I mean, we should just have like a tank come through the street, and it's like 1959. We're like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. No problem. I'm gonna write something, yeah. <laughs> and then and then you know, like one thing led to the other, and the 20 minutes became two hour pilot. Yeah. So,
0: Miami. describe to to people, and I, you know, we've kind of done it a little bit, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you would do it more articulately than I did. Uh, What immersive theater is, because I think it's something that a lot of people have never experienced, let alone, you know, or heard of, let alone experienced.
2: Yep. So immersive theater is something that you literally immerse yourself in, which means that you are in the show right? So to certain degrees. You don't always have to be talking to the actors. You can just be sort of, sometimes they're fly, a fly on the wall kind of experience. We're not that kind of experience. You know, sometimes Mm. you, I mean, people here are asked to either join the revolution or not. Um, You're really in it. But what we call it, and by we I say, Abre Camino Collective, which is the company I formed with the director of Amparo, um, is that it's also experiential. So the idea is that you experience it with all your senses and actually have to live and feel through the things that other people have perhaps made you think about or never mm-hmm. have thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the first the first ideas come through feeling and then you process it mentally, which I think is how we make a lot of our decisions anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that's our principal feelings and ideas about immersive. Um, but obviously, people have been doing immersive since the beginning of time. I feel like theater started immersive as troops of actors in caravans, you know, like mm-hmm. getting off wherever. Um, so it's it's been around forever.
0: Yeah. So there's um, a sort of like inevitable political side, right, to anything that deals with Cuban history. How would you describe your own... Uh, your own politics, and especially as it relates to Cuba. yeah. And then how did that impact your experience of, like, the decision to take on the project, your approach to the project? I imagine that there were some things to grapple with, because at some point you're also dealing with this big crew and this big cast, and you're involving other people where there's got to be, like, some... Yeah. I'm sure that there are no, like, diehard catritas in the cast. No. But at some point there's, like, okay, well, we got to figure out, like, how to, you know... How to make sure that everybody's on board yeah. with the version of it that we're all doing here.
2: Yeah. I think if you're a diehard Catarita at this point, you're probably not very intelligent, but that's probably telling you <laughs> <laughs> partially my politics here. But, um, at the same time, like I'm, uh, I have no party affiliation. Mm-hmm. I have had no party affiliation since I was 18 years old. I believe in thinking for yourself. Um, most of my family are people like my grandfather, someone who had to escape, um, Franco's Spain when he was 13 years old, cross over the Pyrenees Mountains on foot, literally with his brother, end up in France, World War II comes, at his 13 years old at that point is like, okay, gotta go again, gets on the first boat anywhere. And that happens to be Cuba, gets to Cuba, becomes Cuban. Like, if I had to say what my grandfather was when I was five, I would say Cuban. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was like 10 that I was like, oh, wait, he's from Spain. Um, and so and then he gets there and he, he would say, you know, that he was an anarchist, even though he's not really an anarchist because there was no real violence involved. But the point is, think for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, right. um, don't let anyone occupy your mind ever. Um, and with that thought, definitely anti-Castro in that sense. Um, so I think that I was raised in that way of figure out your own thoughts Um don't let either Fox News or The New York Times tell you what to think. Take right. everything in. make your own decision, and right. I feel that way about everything about candidates, about ideas, about absolutely everything yeah. um, i've been to Cuba because I felt the need to see it for myself uh, so I'm not a person that says i can't you, you can't go to Cuba. I believe in um, understanding on a sort of visceral ground floor level what that means and what people are talking about um it's definitely not the fun happy place that people think it is the last time i went i was walking around and everyone was you know you walk five steps from la plaza la catedral or any of the centers and you're not going to see people with the vaudeville smile that's on for tourists you know there it's hard it's hard to live in cuba I mean, we're also cuban (laughs) but you know and so we have a kind of um vibrancy in other ways but there were people were depressed mm-hmm. and this was around when that you were there the last time i was this year okay. i went this year and i've gone four times in total the very first time i went um i say i always say that it took me 15 years to convince my mother to one let me go to cuba <laughs> and i know that sounds ridiculous for an adult but if you're cuban maybe you kind you understand. of understand it yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't want to kill my parents. You know what I mean? Um, and so I did have tickets to Cuba several times. One of the times I had to throw them out. And, you know, those things were non-refundable for a really mm-hmm. long time and really expensive. And so it was that kind of process until I said "I'm," telling my mother, I'm going. And then she said, okay, I'm going to go with you.
1: Yeah. Wow. Were you expecting that?
2: No. Not at that time. At all. How long had
1: it been since your mom had left? 50 years. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. And what was her motivation for wanting to go with you? Because she hadn't gone to that point. Was it like... Okay, now I really like membuye or like I need to make sure that Right. I don't know. I'm gonna watch you. Was it a protective thing? I think it was a protective thing.
2: I really think it was a protective thing. And now I have a kid and I'm like, hmm, I think it was that. Right. You know? I really think it was that. It was like, she can't go to Cuba. Sola. Sola. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, mind you, I was in my (laughs) third. Yeah, yeah. And I have been (laughs) seriously. (laughs) We're on the (laughs) blacklist. Yeah, okay. Um, but you know, it, there are real feelings. There are real feel- You know, yeah, my right. grandfather was in prison for 15 years. It's a thing, you know? And I had been, I've been to Africa twice and she was like, fine, bye. No problem.
0: Right. <laughs> right, right, right.
2: Go <laughs> <laughs> wherever you want. Yeah. does Sure, matter. Africa, I'm fine. No See, problem. See, no, no, no problem. During an oil war. No, no, no issues. Cuba, another story. Right. Ah, I'm going with you. Yeah. So she came with yeah. me.
1: You had mentioned you started writing about Cuba in 2005 specifically. What, in, what happened or what was going on in 2005 that made you start writing about Cuba?
2: The bloggers. Yohani, no. uh, Sanchez, Orlando Luis Pardolaso, um, just a lot of uh, things that were coming out of Cuba that were kind of bubbling to the surface and crossing over. And sort of trying to speak intentionally, I believe, to our generation on the other side of the water Mm -hmm. and inside as well and starting to try to connect that. And I mean, I'd been writing about Cuba before that, but I feel like publicly is what I mean when I say that. And I just started to research. I I did interviews. Um, I talked to her translator and then one thing led to the other. And once you start somewhere, you can't stop.
0: Her translator being Yohani.
2: Yohani's translator. Yeah.
0: So Yohani Sanchez for anybody who's not aware is um, I would say still Cuba's best known uh, independent blogger. Yeah. Uh, was it maybe I forget in what year she was on Time's hundred most influential people list? I think
2: it was two thousand eight or seven, something like, like
0: that. And two thousand eight was about the time that I met her in mm-hmm. in Havana. Um, so I I did kill my mother. Uh, <laughs> so I I not literally. She'll say that she was on her
2: deathbed. It was it was something like yeah that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I. Mm. Came across an opportunity to go to Cuba because I was like somewhere in between. I was like, I'm not going to go to Cuba unless I, it's the circumstances are such that I feel like I'm taking more from these people that I'm leaving behind. Yeah. Yeah. So opportunities came to go to Cuba and do all sorts of subversive stuff that actually did end up getting me blacklisted. So I haven't been able mm-hmm. to go back to Cuba in like 10 years. Wow. what did um, you do? Well, among other things, I met, I met Joanny Sanchez. Yeah. I met Orlando yeah. over there. Uh, I also met, uh, Ciro Rodriguez from Pono para Ricardo yeah. and mm-hmm. Claudia Cadello. Who uh-huh. was like, um,
2: Claudia was big at that time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She won like Yoani's, you know, blogger yeah. prize or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and a bunch, I, I met Coco Fariña, San Antunes yes. over there, so a bunch of people. Um, and it was a lot, depending on the purpose of the trip, it was, you know, different each time. Um, but the first time that I went, uh, my, the only person here who knew, I don't even know if you knew that I was going. No. Yeah, so I told nobody that mm-hmm, I was going, mm-hmm. including my mom. And my dad was like, I will tell her you're there when you're already there. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and so she found out where I was once I was there because oh the concern God. was like, who knows what she, who she's going to tell or whether she's going to try to sabotage your trip. It's like, right. let's just let's just put her in a position where she can't say we lied because we told her it was happening, but it already happened.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so how does your experience of Cuba, uh, talk a bit about how that affected uh, the way that you approached this particular story of the Arechavala family?
2: Well, I think the one thing that I had, I mean, I also think that it's really interesting that you're saying, like, you, you know, you can't get blacklisted just for talking to people who just want to independently think right. for themselves. Um, but, but my experience of Cuba, and in essence, I also have a PhD in creative nonfiction, and that focus was in Cuba, on Cuba. So I had all this history. Like all this history and story, both oral history and then very deeply researched history and then primary um, sources and on the ground information. All of that was already in me when this story came to me. And so when it came to me, I was able to write it very quickly. It was just like, brrr, right. it like went through me. because It's like you, almost,
1: you always wanted to say the story. Yeah. It was already there. It was, you didn't really have a correct. reason or an excuse to do it until the yeah. team came around and said, hey, we want to do this thing. And you're like, okay, well, yeah. let's do it.
2: And I had written about my own family, but then to say, I'm going to take all of this right. and then write again and again and again and again. You know, like you just keep writing stories because there are so many of them. They're there are so there's many human so stories, right?
1: There's so many stories, and they they overlap so many times. Yes, that it's easy to find the common ground, and yeah. the common thread yeah. Yeah. to create something like Amparo. One of the things you said that it's Amparo itself is it's so visceral. Yeah, and you go through this experience and that struggle. It's just it's communicated so well. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone ever really expects that going in. Yeah, uh, you hear all the all the fanfare. You hear people. Just rave about it, and I know personally so many people that have gone through it, that wanting to go through it, very excited, and then come out and they're like, "That was awesome," but not the way I thought it was going. Yeah. Which is which is awesome. Yeah. Right? So like, I, as I can imagine, as the playwright, you creating that's what you want, right? You yeah. want it to communicate that feeling. Yeah. And you do it through, through, through drama. Yeah. Right? And it's and it's an, and being immersive just gives it another. Wild element. I'm sure if it was a stage play, it would be it would be fantastic. The message would be communicated just as well. Yep. But it being immersive, it being where it is specifically mm-hmm. at Villa Toudouan, yeah. The way the set—I mean, everything is just kind of—it communicates, I think, precisely what you want yeah. to communicate to an audience.
2: Yeah. And I think the fact that Victoria Goyala, which is the director, the fact that um, all of the actors in it. All the actors are Cuban. And so the same thing that happened to me that I had all this story, the same thing with them. You just press a button and it really... Like, they get into that place immediately. You don't have to, you know, do six months of, I don't know, like, uh, acting work or research or method to get there because you've been living it all your life, you know? And it's a different person, a different character, but it's there. And the same thing, um, like, Vicky and I wanted exactly that. People to have a conversation with the piece, and then at the end be like, oh, all that was happening for the people that don't know the story, you know?
0: So um, talk a bit, because I think what you were talking about, right, that a lot of people come in not realizing how it's going to impact them Mm -hmm. in, in the moment. I imagine that part of that, and this was the case for me, right, and less so because I already, by the time I went through it, I already knew some people who had been through it and told me about their experience. Yeah. But uh, when I was writing the story for Cigar Snob, I did speak to people who part of what surprised them and part of the reason that their expectations going in were so different from uh, what they ended up experiencing was that they knew it was connected to a rum brand. And so you almost go in expecting like, okay, I hope this is cool enough to justify that I'm paying to walk through a rum commercial. Yes. And then they realize very quickly, okay, I'm not walking through a rum commercial. (laughs) Uh, But that's kind of, I mean, and and you can't blame anybody. If somebody tells you like, oh, Bacardi own Savannah Club and they put together this play to tell the story. You're thinking, okay, yeah, it's going to be a yeah. version of the the those commercials you see on TV for Bacardi, where people are flipping and they're you know drinking rum in very yeah. unreasonable ways and right, pouring right. things right. into each other's mouths, and it's like you know, oh, the backflips is
1: what. Really
0: so so talk about, but at the same time, right? Like you, it, it is something that team enterprise is involved in and there is yes. that interest talk about I'm, I'm interested to know a little bit more And i think we talked about this when we spoke for cigar Snow. Yeah, but i want to tell, talk a little bit about about how you balance those two things because it's mm-hmm. not something you can totally disregard
2: no so the brand is part of the story yeah. meaning the the that's the actually the magic that this brand has a tremendous story you don't have to make it up You don't have to dance around a lot around it, you know, because it has the story in the bottle. I mean, it's there. All you have to do is distill it, you know. Um, But I have never, ever, ever in all my experience as a writer, actually including in theaters and workshops, etc., have had so much freedom than in this experience. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a benefit to the people saying, you know what? I know rum and you know writing. You do your thing. I'll do mine. Th- that's actually tremendously valuable because sometimes you have producers that don't do that, you know? And in this case, they they did. They're like, you know what to do. We showed them the script. Like, I literally handed the script over to show it to them to see if there was anything, one, wrong um, to, like, just factually incorrect. You know what I mean? Um, and the brand itself didn't really tell me anything. The only comments I got were, from, for example, the family Amparo, who might have said something like, "Oh, on that day I wasn't really wearing an apron," and on, <laughs> on the day that you talk about Ramon wearing a hat, he would never do that. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> he has such good hair. Uh, <laughs> good to know. Yes, and he was very proud of his hair, so he would never wear a hat, that's which funny. I loved. I right. was like, I, then he can never wear a hat yeah, exactly, because right. that's not who he is. Um and so things like that that were very detail um oriented, it was I loved it. I loved that process and being able to say to Amparo in an email, Amparo, um, what was your favorite song? And Venecia Sinti is in an email because and in the show because she responded, Ramon and I used to dance to Venecia Sinti. So yeah. that kind of you know
0: so what, what were some of the things in past projects that you ran into that you didn't run into here just to give people who you know are not a part of that world a sense of like what sorts of
2: mm-hmm.
0: a, a sense of you know freedom in the sense of that okay yeah. i didn't have somebody stepping in and doing this yeah what are some past
2: so for example i think that um what happens a lot with um theater and tv is that you get a lot of notes from from either you know artistic directors if you're dealing with, with theater or if you're dealing with, you know, a production, anything. You know, And the notes come from certain places and because they're providing the money or this place, you have to listen to them and filter them and then make them work somehow. And Mm -hmm. some notes you listen to more than others, et cetera, et cetera, but that's just the way it goes. Um, And some people are paid to give notes. And then sometimes those notes are just, you can tell they're like, oh, I have to give someone this note. And then you have to really filter through this process of like, okay, how many of the notes are notes you need to take or not need to take? That really slows down everything in the sense of, I believe in workshopping and the editorial process. I think it's a beautiful thing, but when it's fruitless, it doesn't it's, it doesn't it's not helpful. In this case, we did not have that. We had a very arduous back and forth with the people who were involved like, the you story. know, yes, and the story itself. And um and we that that was very beneficial, I think, to the project to have to say, "Look, here's this budget. Do what you think you need to do." um bring in a you know <laughs> a hummer which we didn't um but like that idea of like and of course we didn't it wasn't like so crazy but it's it's a it was the freedom of having a big production to actually tell a story that we believed mattered and that everybody believed mattered yeah it's yeah.
1: little serendipitous too you got to act uh, and behave independently right yes. you said you like to think for yourself. Yeah. And you kind of got this opportunity with yeah. this brand, which is so which weird. is odd because yeah. you'd figure a brand like this, perhaps you know, you don't go into this thinking, oh, they're just going to give me absolute independent freedom to do whatever I want. I feel like at some point though, the way you 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 started to say how this idea started to to come about, at some point either they or you realized, wait a minute, this is. This is gonna be a little bit bigger than what we thought. Yes. And I, and I am. Is it at that point when they said, you know what, let's let's back off, let's, let's let Vanessa kind of just do her thing? And Vicky. did they begin yeah. with with these notes that you're talking about?
2: No, no. So from the very beginning. So it, it was, was very. In fact, it was like I think all the notes that came were positive. So for example, the very first script, and I would say that Michael Sheehan and Paul Ramirez are an essential. Like I see them as producers on this. Because they are super smart, super involved. Every every suggestion they gave was intelligent. You know what I mean? It was like... It was because they know the story like we were with them doing the research you know what i mean and they have an enormous amount of research and then you're all talking together and michael's like hey could you do the the copy for the for the cocktail menu because we're thinking this and this and this and so he has this idea and i'm like cool and this and 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 it just started to build Yes, and And Vic, exactly it's all yes and and then you bring in like badass director vicky who's like activate the forces (laughs) out of everyone (laughs) And you have the show.
0: I imagine it also makes a big difference that this brand in particular, not only does it have a story, but the company is still family owned. And yes. so ultimately at the head of that pyramid of people yeah. is a group of people that really gives a shit yeah. about making sure that, because the story has so many parallels to their own.
2: Yes. And I think that it's gutsy for a brand like this to do something like this. I th- I think it's not, it's not something that's not risky. I mean, you're essentially, I think that anyone else would have been like, no, you can't have a body you can't like have a wall where you kill people and you can't actually put the audience there you know like that's crazy but it's part of the story of course it is it's part of the story and like we immediately thought oh they're gonna tell us about this and we're gonna have to remove it and we're not how we gonna do it so that we don't have to remove it because it's so important completely allowed to do it joe rada the designer comes in is like let's make these kick-ass prisons and this wall (laughs) you know and make it look real and you know and we have, we have people that are Jewish Americans that are like, oh my God, this is like, I feel like I'm in a, like a Nazi death camp, you know? So everybody equates it to their own story. Right. Right. Which is funny you say
1: that. I, I knew a friend of mine who I, so I DJed her wedding. She mm-hmm. was, she's from Kuwait mm-hmm. and she was one of the first weeks in, in April. She went to go see it and she came out of it and I was very surprised to see her there. Mm-hmm. And I said, what did you think? You know, you're, yeah. you have no connection to this. You're from Kuwait. She married a a Miami Cuban American, and she was like, it resonated with me. You know, I I know stories like this for my family in Kuwait. Yeah. So and I know a lot of people, other people that have no direct connection to the Cuban story, but are from other places. And that story is not just a Cuban story, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh you know government just theft. Yeah. Um, censorship it's just it's it's not just a cuban story and it's even though it's a very cuban play a very cuban production you don't have to be you don't have to be so close to the cuban narrative to understand and to really feel what it's about
2: venezuelan americans here and venezuelans who are here now seeking refuge essentially are totally Mm -hmm. invested in the story um Vietnamese Americans, always. Every time I've ever written anything about Cuba, I always get emails from Vietnamese Americans. Always, always, always. And in this case, we had, um, there was something, there was like um, some uh, sort of advertising or PR in the hotels. And so we've had people from all over that are not Miami people. Then that's been really interesting. I do the same thing. I'm like, what do you think? (laughs) I don't ask them. I just watch. I don't actually say, what do you think? I'm like leaning in to hear what they think because not knowing that I'm the writer because I'm just curious, like, how does this read outside of this community? You so know? hopefully not
0: leaning too close because they no. don't know you're a writer and they just... Be, uh, uh, and then they're like, uh, remember, I'm like, what Cuba, the fuck is she? personal space. That's funny. So you went into this uh, project having a, a pretty solid background and, and all that, having immersed yourself to the degree that that's possible from here or yeah. with, through travel in the Cuba issue. Yes. But at some point, I imagine as you're, you know, bringing in people for the cast and yeah. all the rest, you know, th- there's not always like a perfect correlation between who are the talented people who can pull this off and who knows this stuff. Yeah. Even among Cuban Americans, there's plenty of Cuban Americans that really have never. Yes. Gotten into that. Talk a bit about mm-hmm. uh, the the cast and the crew, and especially since it's been extended so many times. Yes. How you, what you've observed in the changes in their relationship to not only the story but to their own experience with Cuba.
2: Yeah. So, first of all, what we learned from the very first pilot cuz we did two pilots was that oh goodness, we have to actually tell the whole Cuban story to everyone. Because what happens with with people of any I think migration wave or the children of immigrants or the children of refugees mm-hmm. is that you get pieces of the story in bits and pieces and you're always trying to puzzle it together and like, sort of like, I'm gonna take this and so actually the very first pilot was like that, it was out of order. This one we made um, narrative and more sequential in terms of like A, B, C, D, E but the first one was out of order for that reason because we were like, this is how you're receiving the story when you're receiving the story, right? So, but we understood halfway through that all the actors still had questions like historical questions and that they didn't know why they were saying certain things and sometimes they were like, Telling you their own story and their own family story. And then all of a sudden that would find its way into the narrative in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Either like we took a name or something like that or the backstory then informed some of the moments of improvisation. And things like that, um, so I think they were able to connect and understand their family narratives, some of them for the very first time, and then go home and say, "Tell me more," and start to piece it together in a linear fashion that therefore tells them the story of who they are, their own history, and the story of where they come from. You know, which is extremely powerful. Like, actually, I'm like getting all yeah. goosebumpy because. <laughs> Um, it's really powerful in terms of getting the story out to the world because you need people to understand who they are and where they're coming from in order to do that. Um, and then so in this round, in this iteration, which was the third time we did it, what we said, okay, we've got a week where we're just going to tell you the story. And we put up, this is me and Vicky, we put up um, timelines. We did timeline of the United States, timeline of the Arichavala family, timeline of Cuba, 1862 through 2020 you know, like boom, 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 hit the markers and seeing where they connect to each other to sort of make sense of history in a particular moment in time and of this family and what role they played mm-hmm. in both, right? Um, and then all along the, the way, their own families come into the narrative, right? And then the same thing has been happening with audience members. Audience members go to the show and they, if it's if it's our generation, like a younger generation, they'll bring their parents or the parents will bring them and then... You'll have people in the back saying, talking to each other, like grandparents talking to kids, talking to grandkids, and then saying, should I bring my mother? Should I bring my son? Should I this? Should I that? And all of a sudden you have the second trip, right? And now the second trip is not just the story of the Arre It's their story. Yeah. It's beautiful. And,
0: and I think that's part of, you know, of what we were talking about earlier of people's expectation going in. Mm-hmm. That that was another thing that I was sort of struck by over the course of all these months of hearing people talk about their experience with it is so many people would come out of the out of that the out of the production, and among the first thoughts going through their heads was oh shit I wish I had told so and so to come with me and and now it's yeah. like this oh like you realize after having gone through it like I need to tell people to do this yeah um and you know we were just talking about people's experience of connecting more to Cuba I think it's, it's worth noting that the cast you know, the three of us. Or well i don't know for sure whether were you born here or in cuba
2: i was born in miami so
0: you so we were all born in miami and you know uh and connect to cuba i think in probably like a similar way over the course of our lives but then the, on the cast mm-hmm. there's a very wide age range yeah. there's people who uh i don't know who came most recently in the cast but there's certainly people who came inside of the last five or ten years yes and people who were born here maybe whose some of their parents were born here mm-hmm. um so that to me, and especially again when I was writing that cigar snub piece, talking to a variety of people. Yeah. Uh, and then even afterward, you know, getting to know some of the some of the cast.
2: Yeah.
0: It was cool to see that like everybody seemed to have found uh a lot of commonality yes. through this experience.
2: Of the of the twenty three actors that are in the show, they represent all the migration waves. And their families do. Meaning right. like they're That's a- awesome. Yeah. I didn't know it's that. everything from, you know, um, from pre pre uh, Castro right. pre revolution to of course early early sixties early Peter Pan's um, 1970s freedom flights uh, then you have Mariel you have uh, exactly you have el Maragonazo the with the with the and the everything
0: yeah and I think people lose sight or maybe you're just not aware at all of how significant. Those generational differences yeah. are because mm-hmm. people who inside of the span of, of a generation or two, you have people who grew up in what If if you told these stories in the present, you'd be describing totally different countries. Yeah. You know where there are people who grew yes. up in a Cuba where the dollar was traded, where the peso was trading one to one with the dollar, and people like Carlos's cousin, who's the art director at at Cigar Snub, who was arrested when he was fifteen for being in possession of cow bones. Like, oh, <laughs> of cow bones. Yeah. So, so the story. He's uh, a very wild man. Yeah. <laughs> so the story,
1: dangerous guy. Don't even ask him how he got. Oh those cow my bones. god.
0: <laughs> so that was part of the issue, though. That was part of the issue was his dad had obtained them legally. And he sent uh, Andy to take them to his grandmother to make uh, broth, but he didn't. He never told Andy where he got them. So uh-huh. when Andy was stopped by police, uh-huh. he was like, "I can't tell them I got this from my dad because what if it's my fault that he goes to jail?" Yeah. So they were, and then these people were threatening Andy with ten years per pound of beef that they managed to scrape off the bones. So they were threatening him with twenty years in prison at fifteen years. Oh, old horrible. For <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it's like you have to be able to laugh at it in hindsight, you know, yeah. but but the the point that I'm making, though, is that that's a radically different experience of, like, somebody that that's what he grew up knowing, mm-hmm. and that he even says now, like, all his favorite Cuban dishes, he never had until he was 27 years old. Yeah, yeah. Because he was here, where, they, right. where he could have it. Yeah. Where well, he could have it, right? he, um, he, he, he got to Miami at 27, which is also
1: fascinating to me. We were around the same age when he got here, and it was, I was like, man, I have this counterpart that mm-hmm. I'm related to that yeah. yeah, was all this time there, which I... Could have totally been there also, but because of the story of my family. I'm here in Miami. He was born in Cuba. And so we had very many talks, uh, me just explaining this to him. Like, I want to know what your life was like. Yeah. And I'll tell you what mine was here. Yeah. Because I want to know what mine could have been. Yes. Very easily. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Which is a fascinating thing. That's why I think the story of Amparo is told so well that you have that. You have people going through it. The parents, the, the 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 children of of, of parents, of, of grandkids, that come out of it and say, "I w- I got to bring someone else because they've never seen the story told in such a way." And they're yeah. like, oh, "I want this. I know this person yes. would love this because they love they they know about this. And they're interested in it. And they're they're related to this this story, and I've never seen it told like this. Yeah. And it's done in such a way that it's real. There's no." You don't dance around things. It's not meant to uh, be a happy-go-lucky kind of thing. It's just a very honest, true uh, portrayal of, of, of the story. I mean, the,
0: yeah. the distillers themselves almost have that same relationship where the Bacardi's, right. they, they were contemporaries and they took diverging paths yes. based on like very minute differences in the decisions that they made yeah. about right. what to do yeah. about the revolution. and. And here they are. And then, mm-hmm. like you and Andy, they're past. And here we are. Came okay. back together. Came back you to are. Me. you it's are inevitable. Yeah. I am Bacardi
1: here at the club. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's what it is. And it's yeah. funny because my family went to Puerto Rico, too. There you right. go. Yeah, before yeah. Miami. So it's, I had never
0: thought of that before. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so, um, kind of transitioning away from Amparo, because mm-hmm. we're going to start to wind it down a little bit. But mm-hmm. talk a bit about um, what, from this project you see yourself taking into whatever you do next.
2: I think actually going off of what we're just talking about right now, which is this idea of, okay, we all come from different migration waves, from different um, families, from different initial uh, upbringings. And at the same time, we have this one Cuban thread. And somehow there are moments where we're still all sort of fighting with each other about small things, which is not helpful in any way. And I feel like whatever happens next needs to be a big unifying force for everyone here and on the island because something, we have to go somewhere where whatever it is that brings us together, all of us want, whatever it means to have a free Cuba, we want that. How we get there, I don't know. Um, we all want to be able to travel inside and outside of the island. We want the freedoms to do, to see our families, to do what we want. I mean, to speak freely, to think freely. Independently. To, we, think, to think for and yourself. Back, and we're back. And to think for yourself. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I really think that whatever the next steps of anything are, there are obviously projects that I will do that don't have to do with Cuba, but all of my Cubanness will somehow be infused in it. Sure, <laughs> you know, right, right, it's, mm-hmm. it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as Cuba Cuba goes, I think we have to find, like, that's why, I don't know if you guys saw this whole Sunflower Mm-hmm. Uprising thing. Yeah. I think there's this idea of like whatever the sunflower means to people. But let's the describe that, that to people. So, okay, so yeah. so um, just a few like weeks ago, if that maybe last week mm-hmm. this was right. I think it was last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, last week there was a there was a motion brought forth from a couple, uh, groups like Decide and um, a couple of others, which were essentially uh, let's all take out. A, uh, a sunflower on the streets of Cuba and Miami or wherever you are mm-hmm. um, in a pacifist uh, protest to say, you know let's let's um, let's move towards our freedoms mm-hmm. right and and the people who did that in Cuba, a lot of them were you know, there's videos of them being harassed and taken in and then the police came mm-hmm. out immediately. but a lot of people did that here on this side also. And so you had this moment of whatever that freedom means to you, there is a unifier in the symbol that we are speaking to each other through. Right? And so I think the more that we can do that and find what those things are, it, it can it can move towards something instead of conflict, which is where I think we've been sort of stuck a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um so I I my hopes are big still, even though I feel like our parents are tired and our grandparents. Uh but we're here. Right, right.
1: We're we're we'll take that. the baton.
2: Yeah. So yeah. is
0: is there uh, a and it may or may not have to do with Cuba, but is there a story that you know that you're you have in your head as like okay, this is the thing that I really want to tell next?
2: Yeah, I um I would like to continue to tell this story in different ways. Um the the Havana Club story, I don't know what those forms are, but um I also have another play that I'm working on with Vicky called A Thousand Miles, which essentially is about a place called the city to which people come from a thousand miles across the sea, the Southwest mountain, um, the Eastern precipice. And those places mean different things, depending on whether you're standing in Mexico or the Gaza Strip. If you're on the Gaza Strip, you're talking about Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're if you in Miami, you might be talking about Cuba. And so depending on where you are, what that means, right? Um, and then, you know, I have a, a novel that takes place in in cuba and miami and a couple of other projects that that are out there and i'd like to keep exploring all of these things also in journalism at the same time so i would like um i'm also pushing towards tv and film because i feel like the idea is get the message the message out broad and wide yeah um i also working on a on a play about you know life and death which is temporarily called the whale where someone gets swallowed by a whale a la jonah (laughs) <laughs> I was with, saying, I've, I've heard something yes, like that before. Uh, <laughs> with with another writer named Jacob Klein, so um, we're like co co writing cool. this thing. It's been really really fun, and so there's all these projects that are bubbling up. But I think at the core of everything is this idea of unity and finding that and what that means. And with with Havana Club, the thing that I find interesting is that you're leading people. I always say that anybody who came in this to pedal rum doesn't. They left very early on because they thought. Oh, that's about that. And then they think it's like this this project that's about selling rum and it's not. It's about something much deeper, which is what's inside the story. But the ultimate question that comes out of this, which is what is this bottle and how is it different than the other one, is actually a really important question because you're actually giving people information to make a decision they didn't know they had. Mm -hmm. Because people think that the bottle that's made in Cuba is the only bottle. And what you're saying is, guess what? There's another bottle and another story that has completely been erased. Think for yourself and buy the bottle you want.
0: Right. Boom. So, uh, we will... uh, Think for ourselves. We're going to think for ourselves and wrap this thing up. Uh, Independently. So, uh, I'll I'll give you the first crack at Shameless Plugs. So, if you want to throw out some, like, URLs or Instagram things or whatever, go for it.
2: Okay. So, I will say that everyone should go to our website, Abre Camino Collective, because we're going to have... And the Abre Camino Collective is me and Victoria Collado, who created Amparo. Um, And we have a lot of really cool things coming up. Um, We're going to DC today to see... What could be next, and um, we're constantly doing stuff in New York, so check things out there. And then um, my own website's just my name dot org. Um, and my Instagram is vgarcia43.
0: There you go, vgarcia43. Carlos, you want to? You have any shameless plugging you want to do?
1: I'm going to shameless plug our uh, know our uh, Camino Collectives Instagram, which I follow, yeah. which is where I get uh, yeah. So there. It- News and information is at Abre Camino yes. Collective. Yes. And Abre, Abre Camino, Camino for
0: for the for the Spanish challenge among the audience mm-hmm. it would be A B R E C A M I N O Abre Camino. Collective. Collective.
1: Opening paths. Which pads. is in English. Word. Opening paths. There you go. Open paths And shameless pad- plugs for Carluba is at Carluba. Carluba. Or C A R
0: L U B A. Or Cartilage Carluba. Or Cartilage Carluba. There you go. <laughs> um, so uh, I will note that you can visit us at DadeMag.com. That's D-A-D-E-M-A-G.com. Uh, our social media stuff is all very complicated. It's Dade I G on Instagram, Dade Tweets on Twitter. And then I think Dade slash Dade Mag on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, so I think. Uh, you could
1: find them all at www.dademag.com. Exactly.
0: And da- by the way, I'm, I'm coming after you, Dave. Uh, Dade Mag on Instagram was taken by some Scandinavian person named Dave. No. Uh, and I'm very upset about it. So uh, I'm going to find Gosh. you. And he, he's never posted anything. So get out of here, Dave. Come on, Dave. So, um, and then finally, you can, uh, if you are into what we're doing on this and the other Dade Mag podcasts, including Pankong Podcast, which you should also follow on all the things. That one's much simpler, Pankong Podcast and all the stuff. Uh, you can go to Patreon.com slash DadeMag. And for a little as little as a buck a month, you can feel good about yourself and maybe sometimes get a sticker in the mail. And other things. A buck a month, huh? Yeah. We're gonna do some other giveaways, like raffle style among people who support us there and all the rest of that, but yeah. A so.
1: buck a month, some dough. Yeah. See what I did there? I see what you did. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Also, uh I forgot the dot yeah, yeah. com. That's yeah. right. The dot
1: com slash Or for
2: the tickets. I didn't know. The Experience dot com. Oh, it goes straight. That. But yeah, oh. you yeah. could also learn more at the dot com. Oh.
1: I've been sending everyone the real Havana club.com
2: session yeah and, yeah. and, and by the way this home. is not a
0: paid thing but do drink Havana Club the the not Cuban Havana Club right. I think I think some people who are disconnected from the whole thing might see it and think like oh this is, I, I've tasted both I like the the real Havana Club better
2: the one made in Puerto Rico
0: correct yeah the well that's the real
2: one-hmm
0: yeah so the Puerto Rican Havana Club which really in some ways is the more Cuban Havana Club
2: that's what we think that's what I mm-hmm.
0: say that's the official position we're going to treat that as a fact it's not an yeah. opinion alright all, all right. thank you very much thank you. Nessa, for uh, for joining or not even joining us for allowing us into your home Yes, a super coming. super nice place and, and there the was delicious coffee, coffee and cookies <laughs> <and laughs> <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't come to my house for this alright thanks a lot